Welcome to Just Quietly, a podcast where Senator Amanda Stoker has a laugh with friends and colleagues, cuts through the bull, and explores the issues of the day. Let's get to the bottom of it all. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Just Quietly, a podcast where we talk about some of the most interesting issues of our time. And today, I am delighted to be joined by Toby Young, who is doing amazing work through the Free Speech Union. Now, many years ago, maybe 30 years ago, it would be the left of politics that would fight for freedom of speech. Uh, That was the genesis of groups like the American Civil Liberties Union, for instance. Um, But these days... Uh, the kind of organisations that once were champions of free speech are now champions of the kind of um, repressive and groupthink um, approach that uh, is shaming people out of their free speech. Toby Young is doing some great work, though, in turning this around. Toby, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure, Amanda. I really appreciate it. Tell us, what led you to establish the Free Speech Union? Well, um, the Free Speech Union, which uh, we describe as a non-partisan mass membership organization that stands up for the speech rights of its members, um, was founded um, by me and some other people in late February. Um, Anyone interested can go check out the website on freespeechunion.org. And there were really two main reasons for setting it up. Uh, The first and certainly the most important reason is that... um, we're worried that free speech is in greater peril across the Anglosphere than at any time since the Second World War. And some organizations need to be set up to start defending it before it's eroded completely. Uh, But I had a more personal motive too, which is that in 2018, I was appointed by not Boris Johnson, but his predecessor, Theresa May, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom at the time, uh, to the, the board of a new higher education regulator called the Office for Students because of the work I've done in education. Um, and um, because I'm a conservative and because it's very unusual for any conservatives to be appointed to the boards of public bodies, particularly regulators, um, uh, the left immediately set about trying to discredit me, uh, trying to get me cancelled. So the offence archaeologists went to work, sifting through everything I'd said or written, dating back to 1987, um, to try and find evidence that I wasn't a suitable person to serve on this august public body. And because I'd been a journalist for most of my 30-year career, a fairly mischievous, provocative journalist, um, it didn't take them long to find unsuitable things I'd said written in the past and they started digging these things up hurling them at me and pretty soon a momentum began to build, a mob began to form up baying for my blood so there was um, a petition started on change.org demanding Theresa May sack me, that got over 220,000 signatures, Uh, there was a debate in There was a debate in the House of Commons in which my suitability was discussed by MPs. Uh, There was a journalist from the Liberal Daily, The Guardian, parked permanently on my doorstep. You know, I would have taken him a cup of tea, but I'd run out of almond milk. Um, And, yeah, 
after eight days, the clamour for me to step down had reached kind of uh, uh, a deafening pitch. Um, so I fell on my sword. I resigned from, from this uh, uh, board. Um, and I, I made the mistake of apologising at the same time for some of the more sophomoric things I'd said on, on social media late at night after a couple of glasses of wine. Um, and uh, nothing people wouldn't say to one another in a pub, incidentally. But, you know, I, I said... I bet it didn't I help, though, right? Things, I mean, there, there's no hour. way you can... That um, didn't help. <laughs> yeah, there's no way you can atone for your lack of workness, I'm sure. Oh, uh, there's, there's no, there's no, like, well, it, it, exactly. Apologising doesn't help. In fact, it just empowered the mob. It was like throwing a hunk of raw meat to a shoal of piranha fish. It just <laughs> went into a kind of uh, frenzied bloodlust. And uh, I ended up having to step down from four other positions, uh, including my full-time job, my day job, which paid the mortgage and supported oh, my family. Uh, so I lost five positions in total. So I was well, well and truly cancelled by an outrage mob. No due process just presumed guilty, tossed to the wolves. And um, uh, it, was, it was one of the reasons for setting up the Free Speech Union is to try and prevent that from happening to other people. Well, let's hope it has that effect because uh, we are facing similar trends um, here in Australia. And I'll give you an example from uh, my personal experience, and that is that um, during last year there was a Conservative Political Action Conference held here in Australia and um, I was one of the speakers and so was a bunch of other people, many international guests, people who I didn't necessarily know, including one called Raheem Kassam. I didn't know anything about the bloke at the time I um, agreed to speak and I didn't even know he was on the agenda. But a couple of days before the conference, um, one of um, the members of the Labor Party here in Australia uh, decided to get up and make a really concerted effort to de-platform um, me from that event by suggesting that all of the views that he held uh, or had expressed at some point in his past um, were views that I necessarily held too simply because I was going to stand on the same stage that he was going to stand on in the course of this conference. What troubled me about it, though, was not just the um, the daftness of her thinking, it was the fact that there seemed to be very little understanding among people about how um, illogical it would be to adopt such an approach. I mean, the idea that we should only be speaking to people whose backgrounds and perspectives we vet before we talk to them um, means we would only ever be talking within bubbles of people who agree, um, which cannot be healthy, and for people who are in public office, it means that you fundamentally can't do your job because you need to serve people from all walks of life and all different political perspectives and you will necessarily talk to people with whom you disagree. Not only did she not understand that, but the wider mob that joined the Twitter pylon and the media pylon didn't get it either. What's interesting is that you come from a journalism background, but Oftentimes here, journalists are very happy to be a part of that mob. What do you make of that? Yeah, that's um, shocking. And um, it sounds like what happened to you is an example of one of the latest tactics of the um, woke Stasi, which is not to brand you as alt-right, but to brand you as alt-right adjacent. Merely by standing, it's as though the person with the toxic views has... COVID-19, and if you stand next to them, you're going to catch it. Um, <laughs> and uh, 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 the, the, the same tactic 
tactics we used against Jordan Peterson. He was um, yeah. uh, given, a, he was appointed a visiting fellow um, uh, it, 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 in Cambridge by the Divinity Faculty to give a series of lectures on the Bible last year. Uh, but the offer was rescinded when a photograph was circulated of him standing next to someone wearing a T-shirt saying, proud Islamophobe. They didn't <laughs> accuse Jordan Peterson of being Islamophobic, but he was adjacent to an Islamophobe, and that made him beyond the pale, which is completely ridiculous. I mean, not only is it ridiculous um, to try and scrutinize speakers to expect bookers of these sorts of events to engage in offense archaeology of their own before confirming a speaker. Not only is that in itself absurd, but it's also only ever applied to centre-right speakers, never to centre-left speakers. The Free Speech Union recently went to bat for a new free speech society that's been set up at Sheffield University. Uh, and they've had to jump through an extraordinary number of hoops to get approved by the Sheffield Students' Union. And now they're insisting that the Free Speech Society undertake an elaborate risk assessment before approving any of these speakers. But of course, they only have to assess the risk of inviting a right-of-centre person to speak on campus. If they're an out-and-out revolutionary socialist, no risk at all. <laughs> it's interesting um, because but, uh, the, the kind of... You're, 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 Sorry, the kind of primary process that you were subjected to for your position um, is only ever applied to people on the right. It's never applied with due process. It's never done with a fair right of reply. And um, it has the effect that when sensible people with only a you know reasonable tolerance for public abuse bow out after this kind of treatment, um, the institutions are left stacked up with people who... Uh, the only ones who aren't attacked, which are the woke ones. Yeah, it's um, it's it's incredibly one-sided. I think one of the reasons that free speech is in such jeopardy is because it, most energetic defenders, until quite recently, were the left, members of the progressive left. Um, uh, when when they were um, uh, in a, um, when when they weren't the dominant force in our culture, uh, when our culture was more conservative than it is today, the left were passionate about, about protecting free speech because it protected them. Now they're in a dominant position. Uh, they're much less concerned about protecting free speech. On the contrary, they're attacking the speech rights of their political enemies in order to try and secure their dominant position. But that's incredibly Short sight. Um, Ira Glasser, the legendary ex-head of the American Civil Liberties Union yeah. back when the ACLU was still a champion of free speech, um, he makes the point uh, that um, uh, restricting the speech rights of your enemy can seem tempting when you have the enemy in your sights on the battlefield. But he says it's a bit like using poison gas. The risk is that once you've released it, the wind changes. And this is what the left have to wake up to. If they continue to restrict the speech rights of their political enemies, uh, when the wind changes, uh, those same are going to be imposed on them. I mean, just imagine if attacking privileged white heterosexual men uh, became a hate crime. Uh, then the progressive left would be in a great deal of difficulty. Well, it explains in some ways why they are up in arms about the idea that 
um, people's right to faith should be something that is a protected attribute. Now, um, I'm of the view that the better way to make sure that people have religious liberty is to remove a lot of the weapons that exist in discrimination laws for a whole bunch of existing attributes um, so that they aren't able to be used against people of faith. Um, But in the absence of um, entering that discussion, the fact that they find the protection of religious liberty as um, such an, uh, an abhorrent thing demonstrates the fact that they aren't really interested in equality. They aren't really interested um, in everybody's ability to engage equally. They're only interested um, in the enabling of their perspectives and the shutting down of people who think differently. It's an extraordinary thing. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's, 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 um, it's so short-sighted. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the criticisms that have been levelled at the Free Speech Union are that um, uh, free speech only protects um, the rights of male, pale and stale conservatives like me. Um, it doesn't protect the rights of minorities. Indeed, the, uh, the, the, the narrative is that there is a conflict between um, viewpoint diversity on the one hand and protecting viewpoint diversity and other kinds of diversity on the other. But that's a, that's a completely false dichotomy. Yes. If you look at the history uh, of various progressive movements, um, uh, they wouldn't have been able to get off the ground uh, unless their speech rights had been defended. Precisely. So, for instance, um, the, um, the American Civil Rights Movement, um, Amanda, um, wouldn't have been able to get off the ground were it not for the legendary landmark um, First Amendment cases won by the ACLU back in the 1960s, mm. without winning those cases, civil rights leaders wouldn't have been able to march, organize, protest. And the same applies to the gay rights movement in the 1970s. Um, uh, uh, so, you know, protecting free speech benefits everybody. It doesn't just benefit people on the right. It's a fascinating thing. Um, I often think back to, um, you know, that famous Martin Luther King quote um, in which he talks about, um, wanting his children to be judged by the content of their character and not the colour of their skin. And it's as though things have flipped around entirely so that if that speech were to be delivered today, it would be a dream that my children um, would be recognised, identified and privileged for the colour of their skin uh, with ignorance to the content of one's character. It's a bizarre thing and it, it's contrary to all of the forces that have led uh, Western civilizations to become free and strong and fair, um, it has been the source in many ways of a lot of our economic prosperity. And we really need to help people understand the connections between something that seems um, like a cultural adornment in free speech um, and all of the things that make life in a Western country attractive. How do we do that? Well, it is. You're absolutely right. Uh, Free speech is the foundational freedom on which all our other freedoms depend. And um, when free speech uh, comes under attack, uh, that's usually a harbinger of far worse attacks on our civil liberties Mm. to come. Uh, It's interesting that you should mention that Martin Luther King quote. Um, On American university campuses now, um, if you say that you are, if you claim to be colorblind, 
and to judge, but just judge people by the content of their character or not the color of their skin, that is classified as a microaggression. It's known as colorblind racism, uh, and uh, it's prohibited <laughs> now on uh, on American campuses. If Martin Luther King that, right? got up and said that, it, 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 if Martin Luther King uh, was invited uh, to speak at Harvard and he made that point, he'd be no platform. He'd be no platform for colorblind racism. <laughs> it is extraordinary. It is bizarre. And, uh, I mean, there's got to be a correction here. The, the education issue, I think, is is really very important because um, this kind of nonsense is only really able to prevail when people don't understand um, how it is that free speech benefits everybody. Um, you know, I, I often say, as many others do, that if you take away people's right to speak now, you're only a generation away from being unable to think the thoughts that would have been spoken. And if you take that away, you're taking away the right of the the ability of the individual and of the society more generally to solve its own problems. It is truly the death of civilization. And the fact that um, our Prime Minister, who I very much support, um, he's a member, well, he's the leader of our party and, and he's doing a great job in many, many ways, said a couple of years ago, um, you know, free speech never created a job. Nearly made me shriek in horror because I'm like, actually, it really, really did. <laughs> actually, it's the source of an awful lot of our um, economic prosperity because the connection between free speech and private property rights and um, the tolerance that underpins all of that is core to the economic success of the West. How do we help people understand that? Yeah, no, it is critical, I think, to help particularly the younger generation understand that. And one of the things the Free Speech Union is going to be doing, in addition to standing up for the speech rights of its members when they come under attack, um, is to uh, try and educate younger people as to the importance of free speech. Uh, We're going to be rolling out a program in universities and schools in which passionate, eloquent advocates of free speech are going going to be speaking, um, setting up groups, mentoring young free speech champions, um, and in that way, try and turn the tide, try and uh, explain to millennials and Generation Z uh, why free speech is uh, should be as important to them as it is to older generations. Um, and I think one of the, the one of the one of the sources of hope is that a think tank in um, the UK called Policy Exchange uh, did some polling and discovered that um, students who aren't particularly keen on free speech and who think the emotional safety of students should be prioritised over free speech, when a statement was read to those students, uh, setting out in very simple terms the case for defending free speech, they then became much more pro. And the only reason, or one of the reasons they weren't more enthusiastic is just because they haven't heard the arguments in favour of free speech. And once you introduce them, uh, once you tell them those arguments and you make the case, uh, then there is the possibility, I think, of changing their minds. That's a really exciting prospect. And um, the idea that we can turn the tide by just using the power of speech to do it is a very exciting thing. Um, To what extent do you think that, um, as was observed in the book The Coddling of the American Mind, um, the trend of parents and um, early childhood uh, teachers and kindies and so forth to teach children that 
um, harm to feelings is is hurt, is violence. Um, what impact has that had on the ability of people down the track to be resilient enough to withstand a circumstance in which they can have a discussion with somebody uh, with which they disagree without thinking it is in an assault on their very being? Yeah, well, um, I, I read The Coddling of the American Mind last year and I thought it was uh, an excellent book. Um, and I think there is something in um, Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt's hypothesis. Um, so th- they think, as you say, that the reason there isn't uh, a greater tolerance for viewpoint diversity on American campuses um, is because this generation of students have been so coddled, so cocooned in cotton wool by overprotective parents and teachers um, that they can't deal with any kind of challenge, including intellectual challenge. Anyone who disagrees with them, who challenges their received ideas, is immediately thought of as being unacceptably aggressive. It's interesting because... And they regard those challenges, as you say... Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. They regard those challenges, as you say, as a form of violence. Um, And one of the reasons I like that analysis is because it creates an opening for defenders of free speech like us to say to these young people, look, you're going to be able to need to deal with intellectual challenges and defend your ideas if you're going to be psychologically robust. Protecting you in this way from any kind of intellectual challenge is not doing you any favors in the long run if your primary goal is to strengthen your psychological well-being and to protect your mental health, then you need to become better at dealing with intellectual challenge. You don't need to continue to cocoon yourself in this bubble. Um, and, and, but but I, think, I think the problem with this analysis is it's only half the story. The real, right, yeah. the real villains, uh, yeah, I think the real villains are the postmodernist neo-Marxist professors in grievance studies departments like uh, critical race theory, gender studies, uh, whiteness studies, God knows what else. Um, uh, It's those professors who are effectively exploiting the psychological vulnerability of students to enlist them in what is effectively an ideological battle that they've been waging against their conservative opponents for the last 30, 40, 50 years. It really is um, an enormous challenge for our time and I'm so glad that we have people who are as passionate and articulate as you uh, leading the charge. It is a wonderful thing. Now, if you um, are a student at university who uh, wants to be well-equipped to defend the importance of free speech to the quality of your education and indeed the quality of your life, freespeechunion.org is the place where you can join. If you are a parent or a grandparent who wants to see a future in which um, your children or grandchildren are able to have different perspectives without being shunned out of the workplace or pushed out of their university or deplatformed from their ability to speak, um, then freespeechunion.org is a place where you can find resources and you can join um, an, an organisation that is going to work with you to... Um, defend the importance of that value and help people understand it for the years ahead. Um, 
If you had one message for my audience, Toby, what would it be? Uh, well, um, I, I'd, I'd like to say to your audience um, that uh, even though the Free Speech Union is based in the UK, we do accept overseas members. Uh, you can become an overseas member for the amazingly low price of 50 Australian dollars, uh, and you can pay monthly too. So it's eminently affordable. And I hope that once we, I mean, I keep getting contacted, Amanda, by uh, free speech champions in Australia wanting to set up an Australian branch of the free speech union. And I think that's a fantastic idea. Uh, and what I say to them is, let me perfect the model. Let me get it exactly right. Give me a year to do that. Uh, and then let's start rolling it out internationally. So I hope in time there will be an Australian branch of the Free Speech Union, and I hope you and some of your colleagues uh, will get involved. Oh. Uh, but in the meantime, you can still join as an overseas member, the British branch. And as you say, freespeechunion.org is uh, where you can go to find out more about that. Toby, you're doing wonderful work. I can't wait to be a part of what I'm sure will be a large group of people who um, want to get behind the model that you are perfecting and um, make sure that the many benefits of free speech um, remain around for the very, very long term, helping to make us free and strong and fair and um, enjoying all of the benefits of the economy that comes with it. Thank you so much, Toby. I really appreciate your time. You've been really generous and all the best for your hard work in defending uh, Twitter mobs and cancel culture and guilt by association and deplatforming. You've got your work cut out for you, but I know you can do it. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you very much. And thank you for talking to me today. Thank you so much.